how can we as creative educators and entrepreneurs find our authentic voice, get real in a world where real is hard to come by and share our vision, all while making some serious money and keeping it all balanced. Hey, it's Alyssa with the Teacher Hustle Podcast. I'm a teacher, a toddler mom, and a serial entrepreneur. I'm answering all your burning questions and giving you simple business tips, mindset shifts, and inspiration to help you turn your passion into an income that makes an impact without being overly complicated. You know that one thing you can't stop talking about? We're going to share it with the world. So grab a cup of coffee and let's bring your wildest ideas to life. If you are listening to this podcast the week it is released, that's the week of September 13th, I have some great news for you, and that is the Teacher Hustle University. The doors are open this week. For this week only, you can come on in over to the membership. It's open to the public. You can join us at any time this week. We are a group of like-minded teachers, educators with an online business working to grow our businesses so that we make $1,000 or more per month in our online business every month, each and every month, an income we can count on. The Teacher Hustle University membership comes with an entire core training, which is my five-step system for setting up profit funnels in your business. And profit funnels is just really a fancy word for setting up a customer journey. So one of the biggest mistakes I saw teachers making when I came to this space was that they were all over the place with their marketing, trying to do everything all at once and being spread really thin, trying Pinterest and Instagram, Facebook and Twitter even, and now TikTok and just trying all the things and looking for one right answer. But the answer really lies in connecting with your customer and setting up a genuine experience for your ideal customer to come in and not just buy one thing from you, one digital product or one online course, whatever it is that you sell online, but to also become a regular customer that follows you, that is a fan of you, that is impacted by you and is waiting for the next thing that you have to offer. And so inside Teacher Hustle University, I teach you how to set up these automated marketing funnels in my five-step system. And the most amazing part that I really can't take credit for is the community. The community of teachers that are there to support you on this journey, to take you from just an idea or just a vision to really bringing your business to life and making it everything you dream it could be and to give you financial freedom and the ability to pay a down debt. Uh, Our Teacher Hustle U crew members are paying for all sorts of things with their earnings from everything from uh, school loans to kids clothes to dance lessons to uh, everything you can imagine. Their business is allowing them the freedom to have their goals and their dreams come true and have more control over that. So we're working on getting out of that paycheck mindset, that mindset that we can work really, really, really hard, but we're still going to get paid the same amount to moving to a mindset where money is really energy and our business is a place through which energy flows and our business is a means to earn the money we deserve through the work that we're doing for other teachers and to impact students. So I would love to have you inside Teacher Hustle University. I'd love to add your name to our chalkboard of names 
go over to alyssamcdonald.com slash framework. Stop, pause this podcast right now. It'll be here when you get back. We want to see you over inside the Facebook group for the crew so that we can give you a big welcome and find out all the things you're dreaming of and working on. So we hope to see you inside. So many teachers who are starting out ask me, is this market too saturated? Aren't there thousands of products for teachers to choose from? What would make someone pick my business and pick me? And what do I do if I see someone serving the same niche as I am? Or even worse, what do I do if someone is copying my ideas? In this episode, I'm going to tell you what I really think about competition, collaboration, and copying. Tough topic, right? But it's something that's important to consider when you have a business. Now, disclaimer, I am by nature not competitive at all. I know some of you who are listening are competitive. I am not knocking that. Sometimes I think I need to be a little more competitive, but it's just not in me. I couldn't play sports in high school because I honestly could care less about winning. I am seriously happy for whoever wins. I really don't care. Like here, take the ball. You can have it. You know, I hope you score a goal. Like it doesn't matter to me at all. I don't care. My husband, Matt, is the complete opposite. My kids are already like running around the house chanting, McDonald's don't lose. And so we have him to thank for that, but that's another story. He has made me maybe slightly more competitive, but but not really. So I think maybe my competitive side will come out when my kids play sports. But as far as my own winning, I, it really never mattered to me. But it did come up one time when my sister and I had our brick and mortar shop in our downtown area. Um, my competitive side came out a little bit and no, it was not against my sister. We are not competitive and anyway, she always wins at everything and it's fine. She can, she can win. Um, rock band was at the game that was on the Wii and oh, she was that, is that right? The Wii and anyway, she would win that all the time. Anyway, our store was on the bottom floor of a big old building on the main street in our city. And we sold old furniture that we painted up with chalk paint. That's kind of the really long story short. We sold decor and we sold the line of chalk paint in the shop as well. And in the shop, it was kind of a long, so it's a big brick building. It was kind of a long, maybe 1800 square foot shop. And we also had a basement that was the exact same size to store all of our stuff. So there was this tiny space off the side of the store. I wish I had a picture for you to see because I know it's probably hard to envision, but there was a door in the back of the store to the side and it was owned by our landlord. Maybe it was like 500 square feet. It was connected to our store. To get into that space, you had to either go in the back entrance to that space, there was a door in the back, or you had to walk through our store from the main street to get there. So you could go in from the back, which was like the parking lot, the back parking lot, or you could walk through our store. And at one point, the landlord came over and asked us if we wanted to pay extra to rent that room. But honestly, we had like way more space than we needed, plenty of space. We didn't need that extra room. So we said no, and we never thought another store would open there. Hint, hint. We 
figured we would just shut the door and they would rent it out for like an office or a photography studio or something. It was a cool little space, but it was little and it was connected to our store. So we figured no big deal. So imagine our surprise when a few weeks later, two girls started moving in their vintage painted furniture into that little room. And darn it, their vintage painted furniture was stinking adorable. So we said hi, but it was awkward. And of course, my sister and I were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? They're selling the same stuff as us. This is so weird. You had to walk through our store to get to their store. And we were selling the exact same type of items. So as much as we, you know, hated to admit it, the other crazy part was their stuff was really great. Like I wanted to buy it for my own house and they had some stuff that we really didn't have the bandwidth or desire to create. If you know my story, you know, I didn't even really like to paint the furniture. So it was pretty much just my sister and they both loved it. They were both really good at it and their husbands were really good at it. So they had like some handmade stuff that their husbands had crafted. It was great. It really was like I wanted to go over and go shopping, but I didn't. So for a few really awkward weeks, we closed the door to our store and they had their customers coming in through the back door and we didn't even talk very much until one night, I remember this, I was working and at night there, the stores could be pretty dead during the week at night. And so both of our stores, you know, we hadn't had any customers for hours and we're sitting here in our prospective stores right next to each other and not talking, right? So it was a little awkward. Meg was the girl's name, still is her name, um, which I'm, a, I'm totally allowed to say her name. I'll tell you the rest of the story, you know, long story short, we become friends. But anyway, Meg came over and she wanted to buy a chocolate bar. We had these local chocolate bars that we kept by the counter and she was hungry. And so we started chatting. And as we chatted, first of all, I really liked her. <laughs> like she was really cool. Um, and I told her how much I loved the furniture they made, and she told me that actually after a couple of weeks of trying to staff their little shop full-time, they didn't love it as much as they thought they were going to. They really liked making furniture, but they didn't like running the shop. Now, my sister and I loved running the shop. I loved doing the marketing. I loved all of that. I loved working there after school. We had employees. And so we had the staffing part down. There was really no sense in us each staffing our own space. So after chatting for a while, we had already figured out how we could strengthen both of our businesses through collaboration. They could focus on what made them unique, which was like the handmade furniture, and that was a better offering for all of our customers. And we could staff both of the stores when they weren't able to be there because we had that connecting door we could just open up and I could keep an eye on their stuff and we could check people out at our cash register. So in the end, we became friends. We all had a lot in common. We worked together to find out an agreement we were happy with. And truly, our customers were the ones who benefited the most because they then had a variety to choose from. And both stores really upped their game to keep up with the overall demand, but it really, they helped us fill in the gaps, we helped them fill in the gaps, and it worked out really, really well. Competition is truly healthy for the most part. If you think about Coke and Pepsi and McDonald's and Wendy's and Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks, sometimes these places or these items are right next to each other, but you choose a company based on 
who you are most aligned with or the product you like the best or the product you relate to the most or the person or the company you relate to the most. And so having competition motivates companies to stay relevant and work hard and gives you choices. And you can also have all of the things, right? I eat at McDonald's and Wendy's. I go to Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks. I don't drink soda, but you know, some people are team Coke and some are team Pepsi and I'm sure some people drink both. Maybe not. I don't know. My point is that the competition is the thing that makes us work harder and that's better for the customer. Now, I can't really think of a time that McDonald's and Wendy's collaborated. I did try to think of something, but that there's no reason you can't collaborate with someone in your niche. If you have something to bring to the table and your audience can benefit from hearing both ideas, you should collaborate. You each have something different to bring. So let's think about this for a second too. If your audience if your audience, each of you have has an audience of teachers, then the people you're ultimately reaching are the kids, the children. So when you collaborate, you are impacting more kids and you're extending your reach. So there's no reason why you shouldn't collaborate. But of course, there will, there is one time when collaboration won't work, and that's when competition doesn't feel healthy. If you find yourself constantly watching someone else in your niche and you're thinking toxic thoughts like, oh great, now I can't say that because they said it, or you're constantly comparing yourself to them, then it's becoming toxic. It's going to be bad for your mindset. You need to unfollow them and stop looking. Stop. That's going to create just more doubt and more unrest. That is not going to make you better. It's not worth trying to collaborate. It's not what you need to grow your business. You need to just really put the blinders on in that case. But just know that you are also never going to be the only voice in your niche. There is always going to be someone talking about the same topic. But that's a great thing. It's a great thing for our audience. We need multiple voices. We don't need to hear the same ideas over and over and over from the same person with the same perspective. We need different analogies and different viewpoints, different experiences, different ways of looking at things. So either put those blinders on if it's toxic or embrace it and collaborate and do your own thing and also work together with someone else to strengthen your brand. But there was a third C, which was copying. And I see this talked about all the time in Facebook groups. Someone maybe has the exact same product that you created with the exact same content and the exact same colors, and there's just no denying it. They definitely copied you. Um, That's a different scenario. And before I get into that, I do want to make a distinction. If it was an idea that you believe somebody copied, if it was something you said on a podcast or an Insta story, and then somebody else talks about that idea, that's not copying. You can have amazing, incredible ideas, but you don't own your ideas. And honestly, if you try to keep tabs on your ideas and you try to control them, people are going to notice that you're holding back and also you're going to drive yourself crazy. We cannot have this scarcity mindset when it comes to our businesses. And a scarcity mindset really just means that you know, not having a scarcity mindset, I should say, means that we have to believe that there is enough abundance for everyone 
in this space and in the world. People who truly believe in that don't worry about competition because they know there's enough abundance to go around and it's going to be just fine. And they have the ability and the confidence to um, feel strongly about that. People who truly believe in that abundance don't spend their time analyzing their competition and trying to get a look at what they're up to. They do their own thing because they know that they know what they're talking about and they know people will want to hear from many different voices in that niche and that they'll likely want to hear from all the voices in that niche. But let's get back to the copying. Let's say it was clear. It was an obvious copy. I have never, I take that back. I've only ever had this happen to me one time. And to be clear, there are tons of people in my niche. If you want to sell your products on Teachers Pay Teachers and you need help with that, there are hundreds of courses you could take. If you want to learn to sell a course or a membership, I also serve people with courses and memberships. There's hundreds of programs out there. If you want to learn about marketing, there's hundreds more products out there. There are tons of people um, in my niche. I don't look at what other people are doing. I don't analyze what other people are doing. I'm always open to collaboration. Um, and I like to think I'm a good judge of character. So if somebody is, you know, if we're talking on Instagram and I can get a good feel of who they are, I can usually tell right away that I want to collaborate. Um, and so I kind of use that when I'm making a decision about collaborating. But I did on one of my biggest launches ever, which was one of the first launches where I actually spent money on ads and, and, you know, it was a lot of my money, a lot of my business budget that I spent on ads. I had someone who came into my webinar and in the chat on the side of the webinar was trying to recruit people to come to her membership, which was, had a similar goal instead of going to mine. And she was blatantly saying, come join my membership instead of this one. It's $10 cheaper or something. Luckily, I didn't notice when I was on the webinar, I probably would have been thrown off and I don't know what I would have done, but my VA was in the chat. She did notice. We had a look back at the chat logs after because I really couldn't believe it. She told me about it and I was like, no, it must not have been that obvious or she must not have meant it or must not have realized she was doing it. But when we looked back, um, it was very purposeful. And I also got a few people who messaged me after the webinar to let me know that she had also privately messaged them. So thank you to them for looking out. And that always happens too. You always have people looking out. But it was awkward. And um, I typically don't get too worried about this sort of thing. But it was so glaringly obvious. And I didn't like, I was uncomfortable that the people that were at the webinar were put in the middle. And so I sent a very clear direct, very concise message that just said, Hey, you know, I put a lot of time and money into attracting the right audience to my webinar. Do not attend any future webinars with the intention of trying to recruit my audience. And it was really important to me in this note that I remained respectful, but direct, um, and didn't get kind of like caught in the weeds about what happened. And Honestly, the response was well received. It was probably it probably ended the best that it could. She agreed not to attend webinars from that point forward. And I'm not really sitting here um, like worried about it. I'm not gonna have a bodyguard at my next webinar. Like I know that my audience isn't really gonna go for that anyway. And if they do, they pr- probably weren't my audience to begin with. My perfect people 
are here to learn about marketing and they're not going to be swayed by somebody who comes into the competitor's webinar and tries to take people from it. My people have a great set of values. They want to bring their values into the online space. They usually like really, you know, uh, honest and people of integrity. And I know they don't like direct marketing and that that wouldn't sit right with them. So what I want to say about copying is this. Don't be afraid to say something, of course, if someone has truly stolen your work. You may even want to seek out legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving you legal advice. But I also don't want you obsessing over people copying you, copying ideas, or I don't want you obsessing over what your competition, I actually hate the word competition, what other people in your niche are doing. Because that obsessing takes up valuable space in your mind that you could be spending learning and growing and growing your business and leaning into yourself and your own unique experiences and what you have to bring to the table. That would be so much better if you could free up your mind to lean into that. I want you obsessing over different things. I want you obsessing over how you can get your ideas out to more classrooms around the world. And I want you making decisions that are um, the decisions of an honest business owner with that integrity and with that heart, because I know that's who you are at your core. So stop looking at your competition. Cut down any thoughts you may have about not being good enough or your niche being too saturated. And if an account doesn't make you feel good, don't follow it. If, a, if, you know, we're kind of learning, I think that if a business or an account or a person in the online space doesn't make us feel good, we have got to step away. Like, why are we putting ourselves through this torture? And don't have that scarcity mindset when you're trying to control every thought and every idea that's out there that you put out into the online space because you don't want somebody to steal it. You can't do that. You're holding back your ideas from teachers who need it by doing that. So be confident enough in your own perspective that you know that your perfect people will find you and keep putting your own unique ideas out there because ultimately more ideas in this space is better for kids and that is what really matters. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Hustle podcast. I love hearing from you. So if you loved this episode, please consider leaving a review. You can also join our Facebook group, Teacher Hustle Podcast, to chat about all things business, mindset, and marketing. I also love to chat in the Instagram DMs, so send me a DM or tag me in your post. My name is Teacher by Naptime over there. I'll see you in the next episode.